We're in a new series called The Art of Faith. And I'm excited about this series because it's something that I am interested in. I love God and His creativity. I love the, the artistic expressions that, that we have in our world, the, the artistic expression of faith. I even have a podcast on this called The Art of Faith. So, and it's fun. And, I'm, and I, my co-host is a Baptist pastor, Pastor Joel Fairley, down at uh, Claremont First Baptist. Incidentally, that's where Mako's at this morning. She's preaching there. She's leading their church this morning. And so this is a... And even that relationship is a testimony of God's creative grace. Because when we first met each other, truth be told, like we didn't necessarily like each other. I mean, he's a Baptist after all, right? <laughs> well, how can I like a Baptist? But we've developed a really bond, a close bond, and it kind of focuses, and like we love talking about art together. We love talking about how God uses people in creative ways. We love talking about how you and I are God's workmanship. You and I are God's masterpiece. You and I are God, we're his, his unique creation. So what we're going to be going after in, in this series is, is seeing how God uses creativity and that, and that when we are his image bearers, so we're unique. We are unique too in all creation. We are what we're called his image bearer. We are the, the, we bear the image of Christ. If we're walking with God, we bear his image. We believe deeply that being created by a creator in the image of God, that therefore we have power, we have the ability, we have a unique spirit to create things out of nothingness. And I think if you think about your lives, you know this to be true. You can create something cool with the resources that God has given you, or you can even create a train wreck with your life. You guys are all creative, incredibly creative people to make something beautiful out of your life or maybe make something not so beautiful. So this is what we're going to be looking at. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John. And I want to, today's opening sermon on this topic is going to be getting down into the heart of God our Creator, getting down even into our hearts and how we express our love towards God. The very heart of expressing our love towards God is done through what we call worship. So today, we're talking about loving God with all of our heart, and that, my friends, is done through worship. So Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? This is problematic right out of the gate because the woman is a Samaritan. And there was a huge divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. Even though they came from the patriarchs, the Samaritans came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were they were his, their, their father, the Samaritans. They were the other tribes that, that lost their way. 
They are a group of people that wholeheartedly compromised on worshiping God. Not only would they worship Yahweh, but they would choose in these, in these other gods just to put it into the mix and worship them as well. And they, they would do so on high places, on top of mountains, when God says, you need to worship me corporately in Jerusalem. So they were breaking all the rules, and the Jews hated their stinking guts. There was so much taboo between associating with them, and, and, and they, they couldn't do church together because, you know, they're, they're, her, it's, you know, they're practicing heresy. It would probably be the closest you know, thing that we can associate it with would be like for us trying to worship with Muslims. You know, we share the same founding fathers, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, like they're the same, right? But there's some huge differences, right? There's just big differences. So that would be kind of probably close to the stigma between the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. They did not like each other. This woman was seen to be unclean. So for Jesus to get water from her was, was taboo, like cooties, right? Going to get cooties from this girl. I, sometimes I have a hard time finding my scripture references because my, bo- my dog's been eating my Bible. <laughs> my dog is literally eating my homework. My, she, she actually got a hold of my notebook. She ate two pages of sermons, and then she buried the rest in the backyard. <laughs> I guess the Lord didn't want me to preach that one, huh? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Another issue there, men and women didn't really talk. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from with this, with, and the, de- the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as you, as you did and his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Okay, now he's not just talking about water. For those of you that ran the 5K, you got thirsty. He's not talking about that. He's talking about some other deeper spiritual issues, maybe material issues. You, do you remember how thirsty you were for that big first flat screen TV? You remember how badly you wanted that thing? And if you had that flat screen TV, you would be fulfilled, whole, a real man. But in a few weeks, you got thirsty again, and you wanted a bigger one. (laughs) Pastor Larry has given me an illustration about his boat. It's like, you know, I've always wanted a boat, and I got a boat, and now I want a bigger boat. Now I want a faster boat. Truth of the matter is, 
Pastor Larry's boat is a beater boat. I mean, it's like, 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 yeah, I'm not sure. Don't know if you're, you know, sometimes we go out in that thing, we're not sure if we're coming back. We're men of faith. I believe the Lord's going to start this engine. Okay. So living water, the water that satisfies. Everything else that the world gives you is unsatisfying. It will quench your thirst for a moment. But human nature dictates that you're just going to get thirsty again. Nothing is going to be good enough. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. This very scripture is on the little stone plaque when you walk into the front door. So next time you see that, that rock, and if it's not overgrown with flowers, remember that you have living water, eternal life bubbling up inside of you. Just tap into that. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, is that you've had five husbands, and the man that you're now with is not your husband. Okay, so now Jesus is reading her mail, right? He's reading her mind. The, 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 the conversation is changing rapidly here. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She's like, oh no, it's game on. I can see there's something special about you. You're making me feel very uncomfortable right now. And she changes the topic from water to worship. You got to catch the shift here. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has already now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay, so if you're into defiling your Bibles, this is, where, this is what you want to underline. This is what you want to circle. This is what you want to make notes in the columns of your Bible on. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain this all to us. He's going to set it all straight. He's going to reconcile the Jews and the Samaritans. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Basically, he says, I am. I mean, and then it gets really exciting. Then she's like, oh my gosh, I've got to get my life together. And she goes and tells everybody. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? 
I have two questions for you today in the message. First question is, do you consider yourself a worshiper? You might because you're here in church today. You might not even thought about that, that concept uh, or that category. Maybe you, maybe you identify yourself as a Christian or as a believer or as a person of faith or as a, a follower of Jesus. But when was the last time you described yourself as a worshiper? Was that something that you would put into the mix? I'm a worshiper. So just ask yourself that question. And remember, you know, again, probably this audience, I'm preaching to the choir, literally. It's like, well, yeah, like I said, I'm here in church. I'm worshiping. Think about times in your life when you weren't sitting in the pews. For those of you that are watching online, we don't have pews. It's a figure of speech. Think about times in your life where you weren't walking with the Lord or you weren't attending church or you weren't in fellowship or you weren't active in your faith. Would you consider yourself in that state as a worshiper? Just think about that. All right, um, that's hard. Think about your knuckleheaded neighbors that don't go to church at all. Would you? Okay, I'm the ones that, uh, that party all night long that push the music past curfew hour when you want to go to bed. Okay, those people. Do you ever consider your neighbors as worshipers? Probably not, right? Like, are you kidding me? Do you know my neighbors? Do you know my family? No, of course not. So that's the first question. Do you consider yourself a worshiper? And in light of this scripture... Do you consider yourself as somebody that worships in spirit and in truth? And if so, what does that look like? See this picture behind me? This is the world's first temple. It's the oldest church humankind has ever made, or at least that we have discovered. I would, uh, I would bet $20 that this is probably the only church in existence that's ever showed their congregation this picture. <laughs> it's really cool. Oldest worship center in the world. Thousands of years older than the pyramids of Giza. Thousands of years older than Stonehenge. They found it in the late 90s, buried under a bunch of rubble, on one big giant mound, and they kind of figured out, wait, this isn't a natural hill, so they did some excavating, and they're like, nope, it's not a hill at all, there's a bunch of artifacts and relics under here, and so they started digging, and they started digging, and this German archaeologist, his mind was blown. These, uh, those T-shaped pillars, they're 24 feet tall. Like, go out into the, the atrium on your way out and look all the way up to the skylight. That's 24 feet tall. That's how ginormous these things are. All right, I'm going to probably traumatize some of you right now because we're going we're gonna to hearken back to high school days and college days. Do you remember your high school history class or your college anthropology class? The college anthropology class is probably the most traumatic class you've ever had in your entire life. What 
the academics have taught us, and actually they're still teaching our kids this too, is that worship was developed as a response to the agricultural revolution. Organized religion, worship, came out of the fact that cavemen learned how to sow seed and plant grain. I think one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated with old stuff and super old stuff, probably one of the reasons why I'm fascinated with cavemen is because I pretty much am one. I'm like, me, man, Mako, you woman, you must feed me. You know that doesn't work. But I wish that it did. But anyway, um, Anthropologists teach us that that's where worship came out of. It's like, okay, so we figured out how to make the wheel. We figured out how to write down some language. We figured out how to plant some stuff. We figured out how to domesticate animals. And again, what they teach us is that as soon as we got the plants down and we start planting crops, and as soon as we started putting sheep in pens, then we became worshipers. Because you have to have a system to collect the taxes. You have to to develop an administrative structure so that we can keep all of these uh, grain things in the right order and everybody gets a bite and everybody's bringing their offerings and the grains into the storehouse and all this kind of stuff. Why in the world am I showing you this picture of this stuff? There's one very specific reason. And in my opinion, it's super exciting. My wife was, no, right, I'm not going to say that. If my wife was preaching, she would say some other words and then exciting. It's super exciting because this site, let's go to the next one. It's called Gobeke Tepe, by the way. This site, there it is right there. Got some cool little animals on it, high relief leopards. I'm not going to bore you with high relief, but basically this little leopard guy, it was all one stone and they just took away all the stones so they could see that leopard. That's what Michelangelo did in his slave series. He would look at a piece of marble and he'd say, oh my gosh, I can see a human in there. And then he would take away every little bit of stone that was not a human. And these Neanderthals did that. Oh, there he is, my little leopard guy. All right, let's go to the next one. Little foxes, T-shaped pillar guys, some birds and cranes and scorpions and vultures. And like these are handbags. So we know that there, was wim- there were women there. And <laughs> Okay, so I'm so sorry. I'm going to regret that one. <laughs> let's go to the next one. But they are handbags, by the way. We don't know what they're for, but they are handbags. Next one. All right, and then this is a big, giant T-shaped stone pillar thing. Do you guys remember Tasty Freeze? There used to be one down on Central by the freeway, and it was like this big, giant, creepy T thing with a smiley face on it. Do you remember that? Big, red, giant T? Yeah, you guys remember this. That's what these things are. They're people. And it, like, this is the head, and this is the arm, and this guy is holding a fox, and they, then they have belts, and you can actually see their hands come around their sides and hold it here. This is called it's an anthropomorphic uh, abstraction of the human form. 
The fascinating thing is they didn't need to do it because they had in the same site, they have the ability to sculpt figures that are pretty close to being anatomically correct. So they chose to make these weird things. Thousands of years older than Stonehenge. Before agriculture. Before pottery. Before written language. Before the domestication of animals. Before we made the wheel. Why am I telling you this? Because they were worshiping. Again, your academics are going to tell you that worship came from the domestication of wheat. This proves it all wrong. They were worshiping. These guys were hunter-gatherers. They didn't even live here. And this site is acres, and it's like, it's like 100 acres of, site of things like this. They didn't even live there. There's very, there's very a few places where like, okay, well, they're making fires here. They might have been, you know, sleeping here. But their this primary purpose for these sites was worship. Like they were still living in the sticks, hunting foxes and things. And they came, they came together, unorganized, and created this stuff. We, we don't know why. Uh, who are they worshiping? We don't know. Because they didn't write anything down. All right, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Okay, probably around 11,000, 10 to 11,000 years ago. Incidentally, we know, and this is, not, um, this is not Christian or Jewish stuff, this is scientific stuff. Incidentally, around the same time, we know that there were global floods taking place. Massive, massive global, global floods. We have entire cities that are underwater from this time period. So who is worshiping here? I don't know, but I have an overactive imagination. I think it's Noah's kids. Because there's animals on everything. And it's from the same place. It's really close to where Noah's Ark would have landed. But again, it could have been pre-flood. It could have been post-flood. Uh, these guys could have also been like worshiping some weird God and maybe God killed them all. I don't know. But my, the point is, is that they were worshiping. So my first question to you, uh, do you consider yourself a worshiper? Do you consider your neighbors worshipers? It's a trick question. Everybody worships. You can't help it. You're going to worship whether you like it or not. Everybody worships. You're like, I don't know, Pastor Josh, I don't think I do. Really? Um, I'll tell you a little personal story. During worship this morning, I'm like sitting here, I'm like, okay. Landon's fired up the band, I'm going to get up, I'm going to worship, I'm going to raise my hands. And the Lord says, no, you're going to sit down. Well, I don't want to sit down. Okay, sometimes I have conversations with the Lord. This is usually how they go. It's like, I don't want to sit down. The Lord says, too bad. But, Lord, 
I'm preaching on worship this morning. I need to jump up and lead by example. And he says, hmm, that's funny because it sounds like you're working for something and I don't want you to work for anything. I want you to worship. So I didn't ask you for your opinion. Have a seat so that, so that you can worship. So you don't, you know, don't like put on a show. Yeah. Maybe you're the type of person that says, ah, just, I just can't get into that, right? I'm a man. I can't get into expressing myself. And I just, I, it's just not going to, it doesn't work for me, Pastor Josh. Worship does not work for me. I don't get it. All right, let's go to the next slide. You're going to worship something? It is so funny to me that, that men... I'll bash men for a second. The men that they're like, oh, I'm so conservative and I can't raise my hands in church because this is not who I am. And but when the Super Bowl comes on, they're worshiping. Right? They can express themselves in that moment. Their MMA fighter knocks somebody out, they're up on their feet. They're worshiping. So, so who do you worship? Now, if you're like me, sports doesn't do it for you. Let's go to the next slide. Have you seen these guys? They're just as fanatical as sports fans about their money, about the market. Man, these guys can worship. They can raise their hands. They can, give a, they can shout a hallelujah. They know who their God is. And, and when that God hits rock bottom, these stockbrokers jump out of buildings because their life has been built upon this one thing, and that's the only thing that they worship. Isn't it interesting that the symbol for the New York Stock Exchange that's right in the very front of the building is a big, giant, golden bull. Have you read your Bible? What was Moses dealing with when he came off the mountain with the law? He was dealing with a big, giant, golden bull. Now, Pastor Josh, I'm just too broke to worship money. This is definitely not my problem, right? <laughs> it's probably most of us in the room. This is definitely not my problem. This is not my issue. This, this is somebody else. All right, one more. Let's see. Are you this one? You're going to worship something. We have become brilliant at worshiping ourselves. We worship ourselves all the time. We have entire sections of Barnes and Noble on self-help so that we can continue our perpetual worship and of ourselves about how amazing we are. And this is not church bashing. We know this. The psychologists and counselors are dealing with a flood of an epidemic of narcissism right now. It's what, it's what you get when you worship yourself. When you get too introspective. You become your own God. So the, the second big question is, if you're not worshiping God, who are you worshiping? Because you will worship somebody or something.
Yeah, I don't know who they. I don't know who these ancients were worshiping, but again, I don't know. I think that they are probably worshiping their creator. There was no sign of violence. There's no. There were no leftover weapons at this site. There's no indication of warfare. When was the first murder in history? Who murdered who? You guys remember from Sunday school? Cain and Abel. What was Cain's occupation? What did he do for a living? He was a farmer. What was Abel's occupation? The herdsman. Some little tweaks in the Hebrew on that herdsman issue. Quite possibly. Abel was a hunter-gatherer. The concept of developing agriculture and beginning to develop property lines, developing ownership, making things to be jealous for, is what initially leads to violence. When explorers came to America for the first time, they encountered two types of Native American Indians the Cherokee and the Choctaw, the hunter-gatherers. Like, who do you think is going to be nicer to people from Europe? Farmers or hunters? Like, we would think, well, the farmers are, the farmers are nice. Farmer John, he's a good guy. <laughs> the ones that adopted in these strangers, the ones that opened up the floodgates for us to be Americans, they were the hunter-gatherers. They showed, they showed them how to survive. They shared all their information. They shared all their food. They showed them where the hunting grounds were. They didn't have a problem interbreeding and mingling with them. Now, you want to know who the nasty ones were? They were the Uruquois. They were the farmers. They're the ones that had houses. They, 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 got, they got the Europeans, and they literally skinned them alive and then set their bodies on fire. They were horrible. It's the same issue that Cain and Abel had. Cain says, this is mine. I did this. I grew this. This is mine. You can't have it, Lord. I'll give you a little bit. Because I'm not here to worship you. I'm here to worship myself and my own accomplishments. It's heavy stuff, huh? Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what? It's amazing about the Lord. What's amazing about the Lord is... You know, here he wants you to learn how to be worshipers and to worship in spirit and in truth, right? Like, that's, that's his desire, is for you to become a worshiper. But do you know what? He doesn't need it. He doesn't need your worship. It doesn't make him a better God if you worship him. Like, you know, it's going to make Zeus a better God. Did you guys see Clash of the Titans, that movie? It's awesome, by the way. Um, so Clash of the Titans, the movie, uh, Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite and all of these gods begin to diminish because humans quit worshiping them. And so therefore their power drains. Yahweh is not like that. He does not need your praise. He does not need your worship. He's self-sufficient. Like worship is going to come at him no matter what. Jesus even says, like, if you guys don't worship him, guess what? The rocks will cry out. In fact, Isaiah 55, verse 12, 
I'll just, I should probably just read the whole thing. Oh, I'll just read the whole thing. Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. It's, a, it's, it's beauty language. O Jerusalem, O holy city, the uncircumcised and the defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. You just put that into your own category right now. What is enslaving you? What's binding you? What is holding you down? For this is what the Lord says. You are sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At my first, people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now... What do I have here, declares the Lord, for my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. All day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in the day they will be known. This is what I have foretold. Yes, it is I. Here we go. How beautiful on the mountains and the feet of those who bring the good news and proclaim peace to the, and good tidings. To proclaim salvation, to, the, to say to Zion, you, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices together. Shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, he will see it on their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. I'm on the wrong chapter altogether, aren't I? It was good, though, right? It was so good. It must have been the Lord. It was so good. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. So the mountains are going to worship God whether you do it or not. And all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. The trees are going to clap their hands if you don't. So back to the question. What are you worshiping? Caveat. It is okay to like football. It's okay to, to like to go to the movies and be entertained. It's okay to doll yourself up for church on Sunday. And could you imagine if I just would have rolled in here with sweats and some stained up t-shirt and be like, It's okay to work hard, to make money, to seek a better life for yourself and your children. Like, these are all okay things. The Lord is just saying, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added unto you. Just know who your God is. Love the Lord your God with all of your hearts, with all of your soul all of your mind, with all of your strength. That scripture's on the plaque every time you walk into the church. To love God with all of your heart means that you are worshiping Him first. Anything else 
is an unauthorized sacrifice to a foreign God. God loves you. He has made a way for you. And I would just encourage you Take a little self-reflection. Look at the things that are going on in your life. The things that you maybe unintentionally are worshiping over God. If you're honest with yourself, if you allow the, co- the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to come into your spirit, he will lead you and he will guide you. He will show you the things that have developed into God's, into your own life, things that you are worshiping that you don't realize. And when we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, it might look different from other people. And that's okay. Sometimes the Lord is going to want you to stand up and raise up holy hands. Yeah? He's He's going to demand that your body responds in worship. Other times, the Lord is going to call you to worship in spirit and in truth where you are just sitting in his presence, trying to soak in his goodness. There will be other times where God is going to lead you to worship in spirit and in truth, and it is going to be an art of faith. There will be a creative expression of worship that has never taken place before. We have an open house into our nursery. I want to encourage you all to go into the nursery after this service. That nursery, the remodel, the redesign of that nursery is worship. It is a creative expression. They created something that was not there before. What was there before was a bunch of junky old books, and it was pretty ratty looking. It was bad. But they created something beautiful with it. True worship and worship in spirit and truth creates It should create something in your spirit when you're doing it right and doing it well. It should be creating something new, like Landon's worship song that he sang. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth could even look like a sacrifice. Actually, sacrifice is the pure and original form of worship. Before there were guitars, before there were microphones, before there were harps. Some caveman was out there cutting an animal's throat open. (laughs) Sacrificing. Your spiritual act of worship could be in giving of your strengths, of your gifts, of your abilities. I talked to a pastor friend this week who, this made me feel guilty, made me feel like a bad Christian, honestly. But we were talking, he's, uh, he's going to support our effort in Ukraine right now. And he said, right, we did this personally, and um, well, he wasn't trying to like, preach to me, he wasn't trying to you know, make himself look good. He just like, me and my wife, we sacrificed. Like if these people in Ukraine are sacrificing, if they're hurting, if they're, if they're in pain, if they're suffering, like 
I can suffer without Netflix for a month. So, and it wasn't necessarily in the giving. It was the, it was the spiritual discipline of putting themselves in a little bit of discomfort. It's kind of like, like fasting. You fast, you put yourself into a physical state of discomfort so that you can focus on the Lord. Um, but this one's a little bit different when you sacrifice in order to help somebody else in their need. I thought that was cool. So Landon, come on up to the front, and we're going we're gonna to worship. No pressure. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> we're not going not gonna to sacrifice any animals. Wouldn't it be cool if Noah's kids built this? Yeah, just, why not? Did you know that God's a patient God? He takes his time. We are not a patient people. We're impulsive. We want, we want our water. We want to be satisfied now, right? We're in the drive-thru and our food takes too long. We get angry. But God's not like that. God is a patient God. He waits. He will, he will wait to the right time to be in a relationship with you. Like you might not be ready for a relationship with him. He gets that. He'll wait. He'll wait until you're ready. He's going to wait until, he invite, until the right time to invite you to his table. How do I know this? Do you know that the Lord has desperately desired to have this meal with, with his children? I don't know who made this wafer, but this little wafer, this plastic cup, and this little thing that I always have a hard time getting open every Sunday, I need, like, I need a creative solution to do communion. Did you know that this wafer was made by human hands? Like somebody made this. And before somebody developed this cute little thing, God had to inspire a baker to learn how to bake unleavened bread so that he could make it for this moment. That's how patient God is. Do you know before we put grape juice in this thing that they were doing communion with wine? And God gave a creative solution to create wine. And it took a long time for them to figure that out. And it took a long time for it to be fermented. And so the point is, is that God is going to use us to create the elements so that we can be in relationship with him. And he's going to take his time with us so it's done right. To get the body of Christ and know that God wants to create in you a new body, a new heart, a new mind. He wants to create in you a new thing. He wants, he wants, he's inviting you to the table, but he's also inviting you to be a part of his body. Receive the body of Christ for the provision in your life. I'm really glad that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. 
because that would like really mess up our new carpet. But without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The time that was taken for us to develop this drink so that the Lord could invite us to his supper table. This beautiful thing called wine. Some wine is better than others. I know that this is grape juice, but it's not two buck chuck. This is the good stuff. This is the good stuff from Sonoma. This is the good stuff from the Loire Valley. This is the best wine you've ever had. Why? It's because it, is, it forgives you of all of your sins. It washes them all away. All of that stuff that is burdening you down, that makes you feel guilty in heaven and heavy and weird. It all goes away because of the shedding of innocent blood. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, God. If I could have the ushers come to the front as we just continue to worship God with our finances. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this generous church and what you have provided for us, that we could express ourselves in creative ways. From remodels to artwork to great music, you love all expressions of creativity. Thank you that we have a platform to do that in. I pray right now, Lord, that you bless this offering. May it advance your kingdom. Amen. God bless you guys as you give. Just put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see your beauty. Put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see your beauty. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, soul, mind, and your heart, your spirit, may they be sanctified to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has called you into this glory. He will be faithful to you to the very end. His timing is not your timing, but I guarantee you timing is short. And he is calling you now into proper relationship. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. Be a worshiper.